Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Book Podcast. I'm Deidre Tyler Holtz. Today, we'll be talking with Jamie Steen, the daughter of the author of Janet Reno, A Life. She's going to be talking to us about her mother in terms of her writing the book about Janet Reno. How are you doing today? Just fine, Deirdre. I'm happy to be with you. Thank you so much. I wonder if you could start by telling the audience something about your mother and how she got started on this project. I'd be glad to. My mother, Judith Steen, is a professor, but also an author. And she lived in Miami, where Janet Reno is from. And they're about the same age and got to be friendly. Over one lunch, after Janet Reno returned to Miami after her eight years as attorney general, my mother suggested that Janet Reno should write her memoir as the first woman attorney general of the United States. And so Janet Reno organized her papers, her letters, her documents, her diaries, and she put them all in a shed in her family home. However, she unfortunately died before she could put them into a book form. So her sister, also a friend of my mother's, asked my mother to be the one to go to the shed, look through all the papers and construct a biography of the first woman attorney general of the United States. And it's a very compelling story. It's not an academic book. It's more like a... um, general audience book. Tell us about Janet Reno growing up in Miami. Well, she was one of four children, and they lived very close to the Everglades in a home that her mother built herself with her own two hands. And her father was the crime reporter for the Miami Herald newspaper. And all four children were encouraged to you know, go out and swim and fish and um, learn about the wildlife in the Everglades, because this is, this is the 40s, the 50s, before Miami really became a tourist town of the way it is today. So they kind of lived on the edge. And the only rule in the house was that the children had to be kind to others and to always tell the truth. I think that shows up in her adult life and career as well. Tell us about her grandparents on both sides. Her grandparents? Yes. They I don't remember. They migrated into Miami. Am I correct? Oh, yes, from the Midwest. Yes, that's right. Uh, Miami, as I mentioned, was, um, you know, somewhat undiscovered, known for its oranges, but not much more. And so she saw in her lifetime, she saw Miami change into, you know, a big city, um, a place it was an international Mecca, also had a drug trade that she spent some of her prosecutor years 
fighting on the streets of Miami. Now, Janet's mother wanted her to become a medical doctor. How did she end up in law? Um, good question. Um, we, as you as you saw, she went up north for college. Janet went to Cornell. And while she was at Cornell, she just always had an, a love and an aptitude for the law. And she was one of the very few women admitted to Harvard Law School um, after she left college. And she, she followed her curiosity, her passion. She knew she'd be a great lawyer, and indeed she was. What we have to remember about the Attorney General is that that person is supposed to be the nation's lawyer, not the president's lawyer. Tell us something about her days in Harvard. Um, she was one of the few uh, law students at Harvard. She did very well. She, like many women, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who went to law school, Sandra Day O'Connor, in that generation, they had trouble finding a job no matter how well they did. And she went straight back to Miami where her family was known, where she was a presence. And my mother, the author says, you know, when Janet Reno was in the room, you knew it because she was you know, about six feet tall and very um, a powerful presence. And she soon was appointed, you know, to the prosecutor's office. And then she ran for office. She, I believe she was the prosecutor for the state of my city of Miami for a good 12 or 15 years. Now, she went through a lot of historical things throughout her career. Um, can you tell us about the big event in Miami when I-95, the Black area, was destroyed? Oh, well, I I think my mother tried to bring out that she, if there were mistakes that in public policy by um, office holders, that Janet Reno would become aware of them and she would address them. And if necessary, she would you know, take responsibility and try to make amends to the community. Uh, in that case, it may have been too hard to do. But um, one of the reasons she became a popular attorney general is because she was willing to make tough calls and to hold herself accountable. Did Janet Reno's membership in the NAACP impact her negatively? Um, what about it? Did her membership in the NAACP impact her negatively when she was running for office, her first office? Um, well, if it did... Deirdre, she didn't care. She was very much for civil rights and she tried to advance, you know, school children, public school children. She paid for an African-American girl's tuition privately. She, and she really was in some ways ahead of her time and she never wavered from that strong stance for civil rights. Absolutely. And there were two children that she had some connection with, Danny and Delphine. Can you tell us about that? Yes, she um encouraged their dreams and aspirations. Like she, when she visited a classroom, she often asked what they wanted to do when they grew up. And whatever the answer was, um, even if other people left, she would take it very seriously. She did not have any children of her own. 
she was single her whole life and she um she was kind of a caretaker when she wasn't being a lawyer she combined those roles and she tried to do what she could do to help um children who might not have a a leg up in the system in chapter five your mother writes about um Miami-Dade state attorney during the turbulent times. What was the first thing her friends did for her once she became a state attorney? What was what did they do in terms of helping her? Um, can you can you help me with that? Remind me. Yes, that was a a shopping trip because Janet didn't have. Deirdre, that's a good question. Um, yes, they wanted her to dress a bit better, right? They thought she was a bit too masculine looking and they wanted her to have a sharper, um, uh, just a better, a sharper look. Is that what you're thinking of? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, she never was um, a snappy dresser. I mean, here in Washington, um, she was an outsider. She didn't go to the fancy dinner parties. She didn't really dress like the other women in the Clinton administration. She was just very plain and she didn't mind. She didn't try. She liked being um, sort of on the outside looking in. And she shocked one dinner party by um, mimicking the sound of a gecko in the Everglades. So she was definitely made of made from Florida, specifically Miami, which she loved and she returned to after her time in Washington. She even ran for governor of Florida, but lost. Can you remember anything of note about all of the racial issues she had to deal with? Anything that comes out to you specifically? Because she had so much during the 1980s that she had to deal with. You mean like racial tension and um, yes, and, and well, I think to her credit, and please feel free to um, uh, if you have to add to this. I mean, I think she never set off herself those racial tensions. I don't think oh. she, her, she. I think she tried to pacify and to quell them and to um, you know peacefully resolve them. But she, the, whatever protests or anger was not directed at her. Absolutely. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. She went into the Black community to try to solve the issues, and she didn't have any security at sometimes when she went there to talk with people. Thank you for pointing that out. That's a very, very true. And she, I think she felt safe, you know, wherever she went because she loved the city. She loved the people of Miami, and she knew the Black community. She knew the Cuban community. She knew all the different cultures of the city, but she really, really tried to bring, act as a peacemaker. Absolutely. There were so many different things going on in Miami during that time. She had to deal with um, the drug culture, the mm -hmm. gun culture, uh, anything you'd like to talk about there? Um, I'm more familiar with her time here in Washington, um, but I, I know that she was recommended for attorney general by a Florida senator who was so impressed with her work in Miami and what a difference she made in trying to um, calm the city's tensions and bring down the drug trade, confront the drug trade, that that's how she got to be named the attorney general by President Clinton. And I might add that the Senate had to confirm her 
and they confirmed her 98 to zero. That hardly ever happens. Absolutely. That says a lot right there. Mm -hmm. March 12th, 1993 was the date she became the first woman attorney general of the United States. Yes, and we, we must really remember what a momentous breakthrough that was, not only for her, but for women. Absolutely. How did Bill Clinton describe uh, attorney Janet Reno? Um, compassionate, um, straightforward, uh, willing to do the right thing, if even if it wasn't popular. That was a theme that runs through my mother's book. Um, Judith Steen was most impressed with that um, continuous character trait that throughout one crisis after another, after another, and she had three in the Clinton presidency, she did what was right according to her own moral compass, even if it meant going against her own president. Absolutely. You might remember, um, I don't know if you're old enough to remember, but the um, standoff, the Branch Davidian um, standoff in Waco, Texas, that was all on her. Yes. She was the one. Yeah, she, Janet Reno made the tough call to send law enforcement, law enforcement in, resulted in a fire. Um, there was a loss of life, including children, but she was concerned that those children were victims of child abuse. So later she said, I wish I'd gone in earlier, but President Clinton left it to her and she apologized. I don't think she apologized, but she took responsibility and everyone well, but most everyone was impressed that she did that. Yes, that was a big, big event. Mm -hmm. Tell us about another crisis that she had under her watch. Uh, yes, well, um, President Clinton came under investigation for the Whitewater real estate deal that he and his wife had um, that they invested in in Arkansas. And it became like a small thing transformed into a very big thing and um, it led to this winding path of investigating President Clinton's affair with the Pentagon employee Monica Lewinsky who was in her 20s at the time and while it wasn't much of an affair it blew up into a Republican investigation and even impeachment of President Clinton and Janet Reno was the one who had to appoint the special counsel Kenneth Starr and she then had to let this investigation go wherever it would. And she never, she did that. She let things play out, even though it came close to, um, it was impeachment in the House, but not in the Senate. So as it happened, President Clinton was still popular after the whole um, you know, scandal was over. But we didn't know at the time how it was all going to end. You know what I mean? Yes. Mm -hmm. 1995, she was diagnosed with Parkinson's, but she didn't let that stop her. No, she also was very straightforward and honest with the public because she disclosed that she had Parkinson's and that she was going to continue working and not let the disease defeat her. And so she lived for another almost 20 years. That's what she died of, I'm sorry to say. Yes. Now, mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting. She traveled to the border and the reaction mm -hmm. she had going to the border. 
that that would be nothing for her. I mean, she wouldn't have to, um, to, that's in her character. She wants to see for herself with her own eyes what the crisis is, what the conflict is, what she really wasn't afraid of anything. Um, so I would call her, along with her other admirable, admirable traits, fearless and honest, compassionate, and um, looking straight ahead without wavering according to political popularity. Yes. Now, after her stint as attorney general, she wasn't offered a professor's job in Florida. Do you think the Elian Gonzalez case impacted her future? That's what my mother writes, and I have every reason to believe that that's true, because my mother knew the president of the University of Miami, Donna Shavela, who was also in the Clinton cabinet. And because as Attorney General Janet Reno decided that a, a lost boy at sea should go back to Cuba to be with his father, the Cuban community in Miami was furious with her and they couldn't forgive her when she left office. And that's why she may have lost for governor. Now, that's a tough that's a tough decision that took six or seven months to make. Should the lost boy at sea go to his Cuban relatives in Miami, because that's where the group was, was trying to reach, or should he be repatriated, repatriated to his father in Cuba? And, you know, after consulting all the authorities and immigration and child experts, the unanimous decision was that Elian Gonzalez belonged with his father. How did she spend her time after Washington? Well, um, I think she, she let up a little. Her schedule wasn't quite as busy as it was, but she did run for office and she covered the state of Florida. And you, you would think she'd have a fighting chance to win, right? But the Cuban community in Miami really turned against her and it may have been a real blow that she lost that bid for office. And and then she died about 2014 and President Clinton gave a eulogy at her funeral. A yeah. lot, thousands of people came. She was still a beloved, respected figure in Florida history and United States history. Lots of people from the Justice Department thought she was just the best boss they ever had. She gave a press conference every Thursday on um, you know, open, um, free, ask what you will. And she sometimes would ask reporters at a holiday party, are the Thursday press conferences useful to you? She wanted to be helpful and youth, useful and um, active. She wanted to have lots of lines of communication open, you know, school children, to the press, to attorneys in the Justice Department, to the other members of the cabinet. And as you pointed out, her, her wardrobe needed an upgrade, but that was, that was easily forgotten because she did so much good. Yes. Now, tell us the message that um, people received at the funeral uh, from the Cuban embassy concerning Elian Gonzalez after all of those oh. years. Oh, if you if you have the book in front of you, I, I just gave away my last book. I have to get more. Can you um, refresh us on that? 
Yes, they were basically telling us that Elian was uh, in college, in engineering, and they were so happy that uh, she did uh, place him with the father. His life turned it out very well. I don't have the uh, quote, but they were basically saying thank you. Oh, that's real a lovely way to um, remember her, that the family was so grateful and Elian grew up and did so well. I'm sure she would have been delighted to know that. Absolutely. Thank you for remembering. Reminding me of that. My mother has lots of little gems in the book that are unknown because she's the only one who had access to all the family papers. Yes. And I will tell the audience that this is an excellent book, Janet Reno, A Life. And they can get this book anywhere. Am I correct? Yes. It's published by University of Florida Press. It is a paperback. Um a short life of Janet Reno, and it's getting very well reviewed um, because I think she's a very refreshing figure. We've been through so much in our public life that's been, you know, topsy turvy and unpredictable and irregular. Um, a president has been indicted and going to federal court in Miami tomorrow. So it's really a a wonderful reminder of what is possible in our public life. Thank you, Deirdre. Absolutely. And thank you for being on the podcast. <laughs>